0: Amen. What a blessing to celebrate the man, Jesus Christ. And, of course, uh, it's nice when the person singing is so beautiful as well. That was my wife, and uh, it's a blessing to have her up here doing that. So, um, I do want to just mention before I get into my message, it was mentioned during the announcement time that uh, we will be uh, adopting a neighborhood this uh, Easter And uh, we're actually on the last Saturday of this month, which is on March the 31st. We will be going uh, to a nearby neighborhood in Clemson. It's actually just on the other side of uh, uh, 93. And uh, our goal is simply to be a blessing, to show them Christ. And uh, there are uh, 49 individuals who are under the age of 18. And our goal is to be able to provide at least something for them for Christmas, uh, yeah, for Christmas, for Easter this year. And uh, if you have candy, you would like to be involved with that. We would love to have you. I will tell you, it's a lower income neighborhood, and uh, it is an opportunity for us to show them Christ when many times others overlook them. And it's our opportunity to do that. I would love not only to have people who would bring candy to help with this, uh, but I would love even more than that to have individuals who would. Would say You know what, I want to be there. I want to be a part of it. Simply to be the hands and feet who actually get to deliver that and bring the joy of Christ with you. Um, I believe that it's a great opportunity for us. We've been asked by the city of Clemson to do it. And it's a great privilege for us to be able to fulfill this role. So if you're interested, let me know before you leave today. We would love to have you as a part. Now I had Richard read a passage. Actually, uh, He had you all sit down because it's a little bit longer passage today. But in that passage, we see Jesus striking up a very awkward conversation. In this case, it's with a Samaritan woman. It is the hottest part of the day, and Jesus is at a well, which is where you want to be at the hottest part of the day. Now, understanding the culture of the day is important to this awkward conversation. You see, Jesus is a Jew, and Jews typically do not associate with Samaritans. Yet Jesus addresses her, asking her to draw some water for him. Listen to her response to his request. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, clearly, she was not expecting this conversation to take place that day. I wonder, have you ever had an awkward conversation? conversation. Everyone here probably knows what I'm talking about. Uh, They can be caused by humility or they can be caused by shame and embarrassment, sometimes just because we're silly people. Uh, I went to a funeral and as I um, arrived at the funeral home, I was unaware that there were two families that were meeting at the funeral home. Uh, there was no one at the door. Apparently, the individual who was supposed to be at the door to direct you to which room to go—apparently, he was in the bathroom. That's the only thing I could figure. And I went in, and I began to meet with the family that was directly in the room, directly in front. After a few minutes, someone mentioned Elaine, and I stopped for a second. And I, Who's Elaine? That was who had died, but apparently I was with the wrong family. It became a very awkward con- Very quickly, I simply, I think I'm in the wrong place. And apparently they had never met the pastor before either, so it was okay. Uh, this past week, while I was down in Columbia, I had the uh, unfortunate phone call. My wife said, Hey, there's something wrong with the van. I'm afraid to drive it. Uh, I'm down in Columbia at the time, and uh, I real quick got on the phone, called my mechanic, and he said, well, what's your address? And he went over to my house and checked on the the van. Everything was good. They couldn't, you know how it is. When the mechanic shows up, nothing's wrong. Uh, And that's what happened. And uh, he made sure it was okay to drive. And as soon as I got back, I stopped by his shop just to express my appreciation. And you could tell the uncomfortable that immediately happened. As soon as I said thank you, he just kind of looked at me almost sheepish because he didn't feel like he had done a whole lot. There was an example of humility that caused it. I will tell you that there are many reasons why awkward conversations take place. There are far more awkward conversations that will happen. And I listed a few biblical examples of such conversations. And each one brings a somewhat different reason for the awkwardness. I want to look at a few of these. In fact, I've got one extra that I'm going to add in here. First, in John chapter 13, Jesus is speaking with Peter And Peter is, of course, the much-loved disciple. He is arguably the most influential among the disciples. He is certainly in the inner circle with Jesus. Yet as the arrest and crucifixion of Christ are on the doorsteps, it's about to take place, this conversation becomes awkward. Peter declares that he will be loyal to Christ no matter what happens. But Jesus knows better. Look at Jesus' words to Peter in John 13, 38. He says, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Can you imagine the tension that suddenly entered this conversation? Peter is confident in himself. He means what he's saying. When he says, I will be loyal even to the point of death, he means it. He probably wanted to argue a little bit with Jesus, but not too many people win arguments with Jesus. So there had to be this tension, and it all of a sudden became a very awkward conversation. Obviously, the reason for the awkwardness here is for what is about to take place, not what has already taken place. Another awkward conversation. Occurs when Mary talks to Joseph about her pregnancy. Now, we're not given a whole lot of detail about this particular conversation, but we know that it had to be a little bit awkward. Amidst all of the doubts and probably accusations, the denials, all the questions, all the promise of a great future, and all the blessings, tell you the truth, I don't know how this conversation couldn't have been awkward. The reason is because there is obviously something on the table here that it's hard to deny, but at the same time, God has moved in a mighty way. This was very awkward, but it's because of the fact that the doubts that were there were not truly founded. Then you have the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. It tells of the fall of mankind. These were God's most loved creation. He had lived with them in peace and union, likely for a very long time. We don't know how long they were in the Garden of Eden, but we know that they had been created, and then they were given instructions to tend to the garden, in which they did. But sin had not entered the world up until that point. Therefore, there was no death, no sickness, no pain. In addition, we're told in Genesis chapter 2, that they were naked and they felt no shame. That's because the sinful nature had not entered mankind at that point. So they could look upon each other with pure thoughts, regardless of their attire or the lack thereof. But then the fall takes place. Immediately they realize that they are naked and they try to hide themselves. Can you imagine the awkward conversation when God calls them out? Not only do they hide, but they even try to sew fig leaves together to cover up their nakedness. And God says to them, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? In their case, there is a sense of awkwardness because, well, first of all, because they're naked. There is a sense of awkwardness simply because they stand before God and they are not clothed, but they know that they probably ought to be. Second, because they got caught in their sin. Notice what he did. He asked them, who told you were naked? And even before they get the chance to answer the question, did you do what I told you not to do? They've been caught and they knew it. God calls them out for their sin and that is never a fun conversation. Let me share one more unexpected, awkward conversation with you, and it's not in your bulletin, but it's incredibly important. It's the story of Manasseh. Most of us are not all that familiar with Manasseh, but he was the son of Hezekiah, and he would serve as the king in Jerusalem for 55 years. And while his father was a great king, Manasseh was nothing like his father. In fact, he becomes perhaps the most ungodly king to lead not only Judah, but perhaps in all of history. Some would even say he was worse than some of the the tyrannical leaders like Hitler and Stalin. What was Manasseh known for? His father had sought to bring Judah back into a right relationship with God. Manasseh, on the other hand, would reject the ways of his father. According to 2 Kings chapter 21, he would reintroduce idol worship to the people of God. He would desecrate desecrate the temple of the Lord. He would have his own son sacrificed in the fire. And in verse 16 of 2 Kings 21, we are told that Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. In fact, it is believed by most historians that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in half under the direction of King Manasseh. I don't know about you, but he sounds like a pretty bad guy. Well, God holds Manasseh accountable. He and all the people of Judah are overthrown by the Assyrians. Manasseh is not only humiliated, being led around in shackles, being pulled by a ring that is placed in his nose. But he also finds himself eventually imprisoned in Babylon. And it is at this point that the awkward conversation takes place. It was in his conversation with God. Remember how ungodly he had been? He stood opposed to everything that his father tried to do as his father tried to honor God. All of a sudden, now you have this king who has done everything but honor God. Truthfully, he's probably one of the most horrible people you will ever find. But for God, God is able to do great things. This is a man who had killed the innocent, striking down the prophet of God, Yet in his moment of greatest despair, he cries out to the Lord with a heart of repentance. Now, can you imagine this conversation? God, I know that I've done horrible things. I know that I've led millions of people away from you. I know that I have killed off your servants, even the prophet that you sent to us. I've squandered the blessings that you have given me. I am sorry, I am a fool, and I need you to forgive me. This is awkward because he knows what he's asking for is certainly not something that he deserves. It is only by God's grace that he can be made right. Now, I don't know about you, but offering forgiveness to someone who is so horrible can be very difficult. I'm not sure if I could forgive someone like Manasseh. But for God, such amazing grace comes somewhat easy. There are two thoughts that arise out of the story of Manasseh. The first is this. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone who has wronged you somewhere along the way? And in your eyes, it is such a great offense that there is no way that you could offer that kind of forgiveness. What I want you to know today is that God can offer that kind of forgiveness. Now, here's my question. Is your standard higher than God's standard? Now, you know the answer to the question. Absolutely not. But, but here's the thing. If God can forgive and his standard is so high, what is it that keeps you from offering forgiveness as God would offer forgiveness? Perhaps the problem is that we do not realize exactly how much God had to forgive in us. See, the wages of sin is death, and that means that if you committed a little sin, all you did was tell a little white lie, all you did was exaggerate, that's still sin. And that means that the wage of sin, your little sin, is still death. Well, God made a way for our sins to be paid for. And that's simply by sending his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for you and for me. That means that your little white lie, your little exaggeration, cost Jesus Christ his life. You say, well, that seems a little bit worse than just telling a little white lie. Actually, you caused the death of the Son of God. Tell you the truth, we've all been forgiven of a great deal. It's not just about us forgiving others, but maybe there is also a need for us to examine whether or not we need that forgiveness today. Maybe the things that you have done, you look at and you say, well, you know, you don't understand the things that I've done, how horrible they've been. God could never forgive me. Have you ever sawed a prophet in half? Have you ever filled the streets of the city with blood of godly people? The answer is no, but if God could forgive Manasseh, then surely he could forgive you as well. It's an awkward conversation, but it was one that, truthfully, it was... More than what Manasseh could have asked for. In fact, not only is he forgiven, but we see, and this will lead into the second point today, as uncomfortable as it may be, we see that God not only forgives, but he restores. You see, God gives not only an unexpected conversation, but an unexpected blessing. In Manasseh's case, not only would God forgive him, but God would restore him to his position of king. Giving him a second chance to make things right for the people of God. Wow. You mean all the horrible things that he had done? Not only would God forgive him, but he'd say, okay, I'm going to let you try again. I'm going to put you back in the right position this time. This is where I wanted you all along. Here, I will make you king again. Manasseh's Manasseh's story serves as a great transition from the idea that not only do we have awkward conversations, but we also experience unexpected blessings. Certainly he had heard the grace of God before, but there's no way he could have expected God to restore him to his original position. This was an unexpected blessing. In the same way, when we come before God... With a genuinely repentant heart, the conversation may seem awkward as we confess our sins and failures, but he longs to make things right, and I would even add, I believe that God wants to restore that which is broken. Take the marriage that has been defiled. Take the marriage where the husband has been unfaithful, or even the wife has been unfaithful, and it seems as though there is no way that this could ever be restored, that it could be made right. I want you to know that not only can God forgive, but he can make it right. He can restore. That's who he is. It's an incredible thing, incredible idea that God would offer such grace that he would give us a second chance, but that's exactly what he does. In our passage, Jesus tells this woman that everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them Will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You talk about an unexpected blessing. In this case, she came just to receive water, but in this moment, Jesus is offering her eternal life. Certainly, this would have piqued her interest a little bit, but it wasn't that she was. It wasn't what she was expecting when she left home that day. Exodus chapter 11 reveals an example of God's unexpected blessing upon the people of God. We're all familiar with the Israelites. They had been in Egypt. They had been slaves. They were God's people. Uh, it has been said that uh, the, the pyramids and all of the great structures of Egypt were built on the backs of free labor. Basically, the Israelites had served as slaves to the Egyptian people. They were oppressed in incredibly difficult situation. They cried out to God, and as they cried out to God, God provided a deliverer. Now, you guys know the story of Moses. He comes, he basically serves as God's tool, he brings ten plagues about. The tenth plague is one that nobody would ever want to see happen. In their case... um, The firstborn child of each Egyptian family would be killed overnight. Even their firstborn animals would be killed. This was a devastating evening for the people of Egypt. And what would happen is each time there was a plague... Pharaoh would relent just a little bit, and then we're told that God would harden his heart. And the reason was because God wasn't content with just having the Israelites go take a break from Egypt and go and worship somewhere, and then having to come back. God wanted them to be set free. So finally, when this last plague takes place, all of a sudden, this time, Pharaoh says, Go. Get out, I want nothing to do with you. Seems like a pretty good blessing. The Israelites had prayed that they would be delivered, and here they are being delivered. They're getting what they asked for, but God was not finished with what he would give them. Remember, all they wanted was their freedom from oppression. Yet as they leave, God gives a curious piece of instruction to them. In Exodus chapter 11, verse 2, Moses tells the people that the men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Basically, what they're doing is they are going to be paid for their labor. Remember, the the pyramids and all the structures of Egypt had been built on the free labor of the Israelite people, and basically God is saying, you're going to pay them for their time. What happens is, as the Israelites leave, they basically fleece the Egyptians. They take all of their prized possessions. Know that God desires to bless you. But what God truly desires is to see you made right with Him. In our original passage in John chapter 4, we see that very clearly. This is not a random conversation. It's not as if Jesus stumbled upon this woman. Jesus planned to meet this lady on that particular day. But to her, this was unexpected. It was an unexpected conversation with a promise of unexpected blessings. And then suddenly it gets personal as Jesus confronts the unexpected truth. Jesus tells her, go and get your husband and bring him back. At this point, based on the culture of her day, you can almost picture the shame and embarrassment at her answer. This is the awkward conversation. She replies, "Um, I have no husband, but offers little in addition to this. She's ashamed. She would rather talk about this water that Jesus was going to offer her. Let's not talk about my marital relationship here. But Jesus isn't ready to move on from this unexpected truth. He says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Let me assure each of you today that God is very much aware of your past. He knows everything about you. And while you may be able to disguise your brokenness in front of family, in front of friends, in front of coworkers, and even fellow worshipers at church, you can never hide your sin from God. He knows the truth. Obviously, this conversation just got very awkward. So what does this Samaritan woman do? She changes the subject. It's what the rest of us would do, probably. She would rather talk about where she should go to worship than to talk about the brokenness that is actually present in her own life. You know, I recently shared my faith with a young man who's been coming to our Tuesday night basketball group, and everybody else had left. He was waiting on his ride, which to me provided a great opportunity for me to just share with him. So I asked him, I said, is it okay if I ask you about some spiritual things? Because most people are okay with talking spiritual things. And I began to share with him about Jesus Christ. And then, and by the way, he's okay with everything I'm sharing, but then it gets personal. I said, so what about you? And at that point, it wasn't as easy of a conversation. I could tell him about my story, but the moment it became personal, it became time to change the subject. He wanted to talk about, well, you know, what about all those people who are born to a Muslim family? You know, if God is really so good, how could he allow such horrible things to take place in our world? If, if God really loves people, then how could he ever send them to hell? And ladies, please don't be offended, but my first thought is you're acting like a woman. Not just a woman, but a very specific woman, the woman at the well. You see, the moment Jesus began to talk about the personal, the need that is present, the fact that he knows who she is and how much she needs him, the very moment he turned it personal, she wanted to change the subject. Tell you the truth, I'm not sure we're all that different from the woman at the will. There are times that God wants to speak to us, to address issues that are present in our lives, and we would much rather talk about something else, so that's exactly what we do. Far too many of us have been acting like a woman. That woman, by the way. Not all women are like that. Know today that the thing God wants to talk about most is His relationship with you. In fact, you can get all caught up in all of the other junk all you want. But the greatest truth you will ever hear is this God loved you so much that he would send his one and only son to die for you. It's the awkwardness of the conversation to think that someone would do that for you when you really don't deserve it. It's awkward. Last week we prayed for a young lady. She was a pastor um, at Hilltop Wesleyan Church over in Liberty, uh, South Carolina. And uh, we prayed specifically for her. She gave birth to a child several weeks ago, and this is her fourth child. And shortly after the birth of their child, she developed some complications. Uh, Her heart became enlarged um, to the point that it would no longer function the way it needed to. Um, She was uh, initially brought to Greenville Memorial Hospital, and then eventually she would be transferred to Um, the hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina, where they were more prepared for things like a heart transplant. They basically told her that if you do not receive a heart transplant, you will die. 31-year-old mother of four. um, Obviously, family is in shock, not really knowing what to do, but we knew what to do. It was to pray and ask that God would provide a new heart. But while we were praying, she was pondering. As she pondered, the thought came to her mind that in order for her to receive a new heart, in order for her to be saved, someone else would have to die. And all of a sudden, it hit her. Jesus Christ had already done that. In order for us to be saved, someone else had to die had to allow their body to be broken and their blood to be shed. Today we are going to participate in the practice of the Lord's Supper. As we do so, I want you to recognize today that what makes this conversation awkward is the fact that none of us deserved his sacrifice for us. But what makes this conversation beautiful is that he knew it. He knew that these people don't deserve it. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He's, he's hanging on a cross, and his love and his grace continually was poured out. He knew we didn't deserve it, but he didn't care because he loved us that much. Do you know today the grace of Jesus Christ? What I assure you is his grace, it's not something you deserve. he knew all about it when he went to the cross. How many times have you fallen short of his glory? How many times have you failed to walk in a way that would honor even the salvation that you have already received? He knew all about it, but in his grace he said, forgive them for they don't realize what they're doing. God's grace is extended to you today. I'm going to tell you that the most awkward conversation You will ever have. Is admitting that you need help. You cannot. You cannot live without Christ. You will fail. You cannot be set free without Christ. You will fail. You cannot experience eternal life. Without Christ. You will fail. No matter what you do. You will need Christ. And it may be awkward to say. I need somebody's help. But the greatest thing we will ever do is to call upon the name of the Lord. Do you know what he'll do? He'll save you. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we recognize that there is no greater blessing than the eternal life that you have made available to us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory, and we know that but by your grace you have offered us redemption so today we rejoice over the redemption that has been given although we also recognize that maybe we are a people that still needs your forgiveness maybe there's something in our lives that we question whether you could truly forgive us we've done some really bad things Maybe we've been holding on to bitterness toward others and we need you to help us to forgive them. But I pray that truly we would understand the grace that we have received. Help us to be a people. Help us to be a people who are transformed by your grace. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that in spite of the fact that we did not deserve it, you willingly sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us help us to realize how great a sacrifice that was. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be fully surrendered to you. As we participate in these elements, we know they're common, ordinary elements, but Lord, I pray that they would mean so much more to us today. Help us to realize that they represent that sacrifice that you made your body broken, your blood shed for us. The mere idea that someone would do that for us makes us uncomfortable. But Lord, you did it because you loved us that much. Help us to walk in appreciation of that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.